feel free to keep standing or sit. Uh, nobody else is going to know, so uh, worship God as you feel uh, most comfortable this morning. My name is Kurt, my, uh, one of the pastors here, and I want to add my welcome to you this morning uh, for those joining us here on campus as well as those of you joining us at home, uh, not only locally here, but also friends and family from around the country. We are excited to be able to worship together uh, as God's holy people, God's set-apart people in this place and in our time. We are going through our series in Ephesians uh, that we are uh, calling Life is Calling, and uh, we're going chapter by chapter through the book of Ephesians, which is Paul's uh, letter that he wrote uh, 2,000 years ago to these early Christians uh, who are trying to figure out uh, what does it mean uh, to be included in the family of God. And how do we live our lives in a, in a pluralistic, crazy world uh, and make sense out of this new reality that, uh, that Paul has been talking about with us? And so if you're just joining us today, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first two uh, messages in the series online. You can catch those on our live Facebook stream uh, on Facebook, or we also have our sermon audios on our website. But perhaps even more importantly, we encourage you, if you're not part of a small group or a discussion group, consider joining uh, with a few other people to uh, talk through uh, the topic of each sermon each week. Uh, we're providing questions that can guide you through that process, and if you don't have a group, and you're interested and you'd like to, to meet with somebody and, and go deeper into the topics that we're talking about, let us know and we'd be happy to, to match you up with somebody who you can connect with and go deeper in Christ by going through this message series together. On our website, there's a button uh, that says connect. If you click on that, it'll pull up our digital connect card. You can use that to let us know you're interested. And you can also share prayer requests and anything else that you would like us to know. Every week, our staff prays for the requests that we receive, and so we value partnering with you in that way as well. As we jump into the series for today, I want to take a minute to pause and, and, and reflectively pray that God's Spirit would be present in this time. That as we just sang, that there is a power that is available, that, that we believe is available, but we might not always see it, or we might not always experience it, we might wonder if that power is truly available for me. And I think in our message for today, Paul in Ephesians is going to invite us to wake up again to the reality that in Christ there is a power that is available. It doesn't come from us. It comes from Him. And when Jesus shows up, give ourselves now to your word. We humbly submit ourselves to the truth that you have revealed in Christ and ask through your spirit that you would use the words of the Bible to speak your words of life to us. Help us to see and to hear that which we need to hear that we can only understand through the power of your spirit at work in our lives. That same power that rose Jesus from the grave that lives in us today. God, make us aware of that power and how you want to be moving and working, first of all, in our hearts, but then through our hearts to share the good news message and the love of Jesus with the lost and the hurting world. God, we hear you call, and we ask that you would reveal to us your call for our lives again today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So what I've kind of suggested as we've begun this series is that uh, in, a, in a maybe a, a simple way, the premise of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that life is calling. Not only is life calling to us, that there's a sense of destiny, that, that there's something more than we're experiencing today that God has for us, that, that, that the brokenness and the pain of the past is not defining who we are as human beings, but that in Christ there's an open door, that, that new things are possible, that God is calling us forward, and that life is calling us to believe and to hope that death is never the last word, but that God's plan and purpose from before the creation of the world is continuing to work itself out, not only in the world, but in your life and in my life today. And in that sense, life is also God's calling on our life. In Jesus, God calls us to follow him as his disciples. 
And as Jesus calls us, we learn that, that God sets us apart for his plan and his purpose. And that's what Paul means when he says that we are we're God's holy people or we are saints. It's not that, that we're perfect, right? It's that God has called us and set us apart for a purpose. And that purpose is to reveal his holiness in our lives, the grace of God that he's revealed in Jesus. And so our life purpose begins to be discovered as we understand how God has designed and shaped us uniquely to reflect his love and his goodness and his glory that he's revealed to us in Christ. What we learn in the letter to Ephesians is that in Christ we are called by God on purpose. And we are called by God for a purpose. And it's when we begin to fully understand and discover this calling on our lives and the purpose for why God has called us to himself in Jesus that everything else in our life begins to make sense. And everything else in our life begins to fall in place. And we begin to understand that God is present and at work in and through all of the circumstances. We pick up the letter in chapter 1, verse 15 today, where Paul says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now let's pause there. We're going to go through uh, verse 23 today, but as I did last week, I want to I want to kind of unpack some things as we read through the, the passage, because there's always a lot here in Paul's writing, and then I want to end by, by highlighting a few key points for us that I think can be our takeaways. Let's not skip over the beginning of Paul's first sentence here. Actually, this whole verse is one long sentence, but in our translation, we've broken it up with some English punctuation. Paul starts by saying, for this reason. Well, for what reason? What's he talking about? For what reason? Well, really what he's saying is, everything that I just said, that we went over last week in verses 3 through 14, which also is one long sentence in the original Greek, right? Everything that I just said, because of all of that, now I'm going to take my argument to the next point. I'm going to take my idea to the next level. But, but you have to understand that what I'm going to say now is dependent on everything that I just explained. And so, uh, as, a, as a review or as a reminder, I think over or forget what we learned last week. And if you're just joining us today, it might be a helpful reminder to, to say, well, what is talking, he talking about when he says, for this reason? Now, as we've been saying, as Christians, we, we are called by God in Christ to be God's holy people, to be saints, to be those who are set apart for a purpose. And we explored that all the spiritual blessings that God has given us in the heavenly realms uh, uh, reminds us that we're called by God's grace to live in God's grace and to extend God's grace to one another. And that grace becomes the defining characteristic of God's unconditional, sacrificial love for you and for me that he has revealed to us in Jesus. You see, we learn that grace is the definer of the reality in which we now live, or at least we are invited to live, as we come and give our lives to Jesus as his disciples. For Paul, what it means to be for the praise of God's glory is to live our lives as a reflection of the character of God that he's revealed in Jesus, which is a character of mercy and love and grace. You see, we discover that, that bringing praise to God by reflecting who he has revealed himself to be becomes our ultimate why for life in this world. Praise and worship are not just something we do for one hour on Sunday morning in a sanctuary or on a camera online. For the Christian, what Paul is saying is that life is worship. Everything that we do and everything that we say that seeks to reflect the love of God revealed in Christ and to carry forward the glory of God into the world reveals who God is to a lost and a hurting world that desperately needs good news. In that sense, life is worship. 
see, this is the beginning and the foundation for us to understand what our life purpose really is all about. And then we talked about, if you were here, you might remember, or if you listened online, in this sense, there are several important truths that also come out of this that are helpful to guide us through life in this world. And, and that first point is that life is not an accident. Right? Your life is not an accident. You are not an accident. God created you on purpose and for a purpose. Which leads us to the second point is that God is at work. God has been working. God continues to be working. And He will continue to be working until He brings all things to fulfillment in Christ. This gives us hope in the midst of our current life circumstances, and it also allows us to begin to learn how to align ourselves with God's plan and purposes, and to trust that even when we might not be able to see it, that God is working in the midst of our lives and everything that we're going through to work things out for our good and for His good. The third point that we learned last week in all of this is the reality then that life in Christ is more than you can see. Life in Christ is more than you can see. There is a spiritual reality to life in this world. Even though we cannot see it, it is nonetheless just as real as the physical world in which we live. And when Paul talks about Christ being exalted to the highest place today in the heavenly realms, it is a part of the place where we experience life in this world. Christ has not left us and gone some other place. He is here. We just experience him in a whole new working in all things to fulfill his purposes. And if that's true for the general truth of the nature of this world, it's true for you and for me in our own lives as well. You see, the gift of his presence and his power in our lives through the Holy Spirit is his guarantee. It's his down payment. It's his promise that he is with you and nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. And when he brings all things into unity and fulfillment in Christ at the end of all time, experience the completion of God's plan and purpose, which has already begun, which we are experiencing in Christ today, and will be fulfilled at the end of all time. Amen? This is the, 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 the perspective that Paul says you have to have in order to understand how all the other aspects of the Christian life work themselves out. And he's going to go on then to build on that. We see in Ephesians, I want to suggest that Paul is, is taking a clearly Trinitarian perspective on life purpose. That what the Bible reveals about how God exists as three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, isn't just some theological, uh, philosophical argument that's, that's fun to talk about, Right? It's a reality that Paul is going to say that helps us to understand how we experience God and the ways that God is working in our lives to accomplish His purposes in us. See, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit work together in harmony, each playing a role in the fulfillment of God's plan and purpose. And these roles correspond to the core life searches that we are all seeking to fulfill in our lives, whether we realize them or not. I have a, an image to share with you. I think we have that on the screen. Hopefully you guys at home are able to see that as well. And last week I suggested that in life we are all searching for community, for identity, and for meaning. And that these three things are, are, are the ingredients that, that help us to have a sense of life purpose in, in life. And, and in community, we're asking the questions, where do I come from? Where, where, where do I belong? And, and, and those questions lead us to a, a sense of identity. And, and, and the questions of identity are, who am I? And what makes me uniquely me in this world? And ultimately, these lead us to questions of meaning in terms of what value do I have in this life? What, what am I good for? Because life purpose means that there is a purpose for which we are living. And if we don't have any sense of the meaning and the value of my life and our lives, then we might not really understand what we're good for. And what Paul reveals to us in Ephesians, and we're going to continue to explore today, 
is that in the beginning of this letter, we are adopted by God the Father into a new family in Christ. We have a new community that shapes our experience of life in this world. And we are then redeemed, he also says, by the Son, by the blood of Christ. We are redeemed from the power of sin. And when we are redeemed, we receive a new identity in Christ. And then we are empowered by the presence of the Spirit of God to find new meaning and value in all of our work, in all of our relationships, in everything that we give our lives to have new meaning and value because of the presence and the empowerment of God's Spirit to use those things for God's pleasure and God's purposes. You see, all three together work to lead us to a clearer sense of where God is at work in our lives and what His plan and His purpose is for us. For this reason, <laughs> Paul says, for all of these things, because of all of these amazing blessings that God has created in Christ and bestowed on us and invited us to live into, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now, scholars suggest that this idea that Paul is recognizing that he's actually writing to people who he hasn't directly met. And ever since I heard about your faith and your love for all God's people, uh, most scholars are, are, are coming to the conclusion that, that this wasn't necessarily written to the church in Ephesus, but it was written to the, the larger church in Asia Minor. These next generation Christians who had become part of the church as a result of Paul's ministry. Now, several years later, he finds himself in prison and he's hearing the stories about how the gospel is advancing in the world and new Gentile believers are coming to faith and he wants to write to them and he wants to encourage them and he wants them to know that, that you too are a part of God's plan. You too are now a part of God's family. And so he writes a letter uh, because he's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love. And in there, can we also see what we've talked about a lot uh, here at Faith Covenant Church, that, that Paul's understanding of the core of their faith is this vertical relationship with God, that their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but then that it works itself out in all of the horizontal relationships of their life, right? Their love for all of God's people. Because of your faith and your love, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. See, again, we, we see Paul's clearly Trinitarian understanding of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in harmony and in unity together. And this phrase, the glorious Father, is more literally the Father of glory. In the Bible, as we talked a little bit about God's glory, glory was uh, those things that make God visible in the world. In the Old Testament, you can go and read about God's presence in the temple, and they, they called it His Shekinah glory because it was the, the visible presence of God in the world. Or it was the, uh, in the wilderness, it was the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and smoke. These things that make God visible, that make God know, right? The ways that God chooses to reveal himself. Paul is saying it, that, that, that the glorious Father, the Father of glory, is the God who reveals himself. He's the God who doesn't stay hidden. He's the God who wants to be known. He's the Father who makes himself known. Maybe we could translate this or paraphrase it to say, I keep asking that the God who reveals his glory and makes himself known by the Holy Spirit will reveal himself to you. Why would he pray for that? He gives us the answer, right? So that you may know him. So that you may know him and know him better. Real quick, let's notice another side note here, the character and the consistency of Paul's praying. Right? You catch these words? Ever since I heard, I have not stopped. I keep asking. I, I think if we look at... Paul's attitude and his practice of prayer for these believers, keeping in mind these are people he's never personally met, right? Demonstrates here that fellow Christian believers 
who maybe we have never even met, or maybe we worship with on Sunday morning, but we don't necessarily even have a personal relationship with, are an intimate part of what God has called us to experience in this world by valuing and caring for their well-being that they might know God better. You see, this is really the evangelistic spirit of the New Testament. It's it's a desire and a heart and a passion that other people will come to know God in the way that we've experienced God. It's not winning souls and getting notches on our spiritual gun belt to say, hey, we we want X many people. It's about wanting a, a passion, a desire to have people know God so that they too can experience this joy and this amazing life that Paul is talking about. He goes on in verse 18 to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. Now, now the way that this translated here, we might think this is a second request. I pray that, that you might know God and that your eyes, uh, the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. But actually, the literal translation is having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And so what's happening here is that as a result of knowing God better, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. Or in modern parlance, we might say the lights will go on in your heart. You'll have an aha moment that you'll realize something in a new way, that you'll see life from a new perspective. Because when you know God, Christ shows up and everything changes. I almost threw my notes everywhere. (laughs) See, Paul's hope is that we will know God better through the power of His Spirit in our lives. That the lights will go on in our thinking, that the lights will go on in our understanding, and we'll see ourselves differently, and we'll understand the community into which we've been called. We'll understand the purpose for which God has called us to live our lives, and we will discover that in that there is hope, and there is joy, and there is power. And that's where he continues. He says, in order that, again, that's a statement of purpose, in order that you may know the hope to which he is called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. Christian professor and author Klein Snodgrass in his commentary on Ephesians says, there is probably no direct real-world correlation to the list of powers that Paul lists here. He, he's simply just stacking on every name or term that he can come up with for what powers are as a way of saying, God has, in Christ, defeated them totally. There is no rival. There is no other power. There is no other name, uh, both now and in the age to come, because Christ has been exalted to the ultimate place. He is now the Lord of the universe. God has given him the ultimate place for life and for meaning in this world. In his death and resurrection, Jesus has become victorious over every power of sin and darkness and even over the power of death. Any power that is in this world and in all the heavenly realms that would stand against God's plan and purpose that he had planned before the creation of the world, that he is working out in our world now, and that he promises will come to fulfillment. There is no power that can thwart that. There is no uh, demon that can stand in its way. There is no thought that you can have or thing that you can name that can, that can stop what God has planned because the victory has already been won. The deal is done. The game is up. We know who wins. Christ is seated in the victory circle. Perhaps in the words of heavyweight boxing champion Muhammad Ali, we could say in our parlance that Paul is saying that Jesus has become the greatest of all time. Right? Jesus is the greatest of all time because of what he's accomplished in his life, in his death, and his resurrection for you and me. 
Not only that, but he goes on in verse 22 to say, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in everything. See, Paul is saying that all of this has direct implications for Christian All of this has direct implications for your life and for my life. All of this has direct implications for our shared experience of what it means to be church and how we live in relationships with one another, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or it's in our marriages and families at home or how we conduct our businesses and what kind of employees or employers we are. All of these things are put under the feet and the authority of the Lordship of Christ. joy is that because we are now united with the life of God in Christ, Christ has defeated every power and become the Lord over all things, the very fullness of God, God in total, no, not impartial, God completely is in Christ and therefore is in us. Does that blow your mind? How small Paul is telling us not only that life is calling and then that life is worship, but ultimately life is knowing God. And when we know God, we know hope. And when we know God, we know wealth. Not not the kind of wealth of this world, but, but I want to suggest that Paul is talking about the riches of Christian community. We are the inheritance of God. Understanding that all the spiritual blessings God gives us in Christ, it follows that the truths of these blessings and their impact on our lives are first and foremost relationally discerning. They're relationally discerning. If you want to know the truth of what Paul is saying, you find out in relationship to God. Because apart from relationship to God, apart from the spirit of wisdom and revelation at work in us, we cannot understand and we cannot know how this all works out and why this is true. But in Christ and with the spirit and then with the spirit revealing and confirming God's presence in our lives, we discover that the Christian life is a relational experience of life. Another way we could say that is to know our purpose in life better, we need to know God better. If you want to seek out and discover the purpose of your life, start by seeking out and discovering the God who is with you. And the God who has given His Son to redeem you. And the God who has given His Spirit to inhabit your life and to bring wisdom and revelation. So many times I think God probably just goes, what else can I do to get these people to simply come and hang out with me? I just want to be in relationship. I don't don't judge you. (laughs) I don't hold your sins against you. I don't look down my nose at you. In fact, I've been working from before the creation of the world to try and reveal to you that I'm a God of mercy and that I'm a God of grace and I'm a God of love. Why do you keep running away as if somehow I'm going to zap you with a lightning bolt? Somehow thinking that in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own power, you're going to be able to navigate all of the broken relationships and the evil and the sin of this world, and even that which kind of continues to rise up in you. But all the while, there's presence and there's power available to deal with that kind of stuff. That's what I think 
God has one for you. Knowing the purpose of your life better begins with the willingness to know God better. And to seek life purpose for a Christian begins with seeking God. Now, Paul says there are three things that we can uh, experience if we're willing to commit ourselves to seeking and knowing God better. The first one is, he said, if you know God, you'll know hope. Now, this is really important for us to talk about because there's a lot of hope going on in our world, in our culture, that isn't really the, the Christian or the biblical idea of hope, right? In our world, hope is more often wishful thinking. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I get that job, you know. I, I hope he or she really likes me. <laughs> now, we have a lot of hope that as wishful thinking that is, is a natural and normal part of life, but that isn't the kind of hope that the Bible talks about. When Paul says, if you know God, you'll know hope, he's talking about the hope that comes from knowing that Christ is seated on the throne, that the game is over, and the decision is done. And that God has promised in the end the very fulfillment that he's talking about is going to come not only for those who are in Christ, but to the whole world. That all things are going to be united and harmonized and brought to healing and wholeness under Christ. That is a hope that isn't a wish. It's something that's coming that you can bank your life on. And because we know what the end is before the beginning, we don't have to worry about the fearful anxiety of things that are happening now because we know in the end what it's all going to work out to be. And that gives us the courage and the strength to endure life in this world on this side of the fulfillment of God's plan because God promises that we can begin to taste and experience some of that fulfillment in our life today, even though he's asking us to wait Till the end for the ultimate fulfillment. In First Peter, if you go and read through that letter, Peter says that the reason that God is so slow in bringing the end is because he wants more people to, to be saved. You know, we as Christians go, oh God, come on, bring it. We're done. Pull us out of here. Jesus, come back soon. And God's going, no, 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 no. There's more people that you can talk to. There's more people who we could bring in the, into the boat. There's more people who could become a part of the family. Well, why would we end it too early when more people might be included in the family? See, we think God's slow in acting because our patience is so short, and we want to find comfort and, and, and an absence of pain now. But God says, hey, 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 there's a reason why I'm taking my time. And you can have hope that even though you're going through difficulty right now, even though life continues to be painful right now, even though you're still navigating the brokenness and the evil of a fallen world, the end is assured. And just be patient and trust me that there is power available to work out these things in your life as well. That's the hope to which we are called. That's the hope that we have when we know as Christians, we never lose hope because God has made his purpose known. He's made his plan clear. And the outcome of that plan has already been guaranteed because Christ has risen from the dead. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. He also says, if you know God, you'll know wealth. If you know God, you'll know riches. But, but again, as I said earlier, I think we have to be careful here because too often we can think that, that, that God is that you know, great vending machine in the sky, right? And if we go and pull the right lever by praying the right words or going to church often enough that, that the Bible says that he's going to bless us with riches. And so we, we kind of step into a health and wealth prosperity gospel, which really is not the gospel. The kinds of wealth and riches that he's talking about, I want to suggest, are the wealth and the riches that come from being a part of church, a part of Christian community, the, the adopted family of God. The literal phrase here is that they may know the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in the Holy Ones. <laughs> That's kind of a mouthful, so I, I don't think that that reads well, right? Paul's prayer is that they would come to know the wealth of the glory, and glory, we said, is something that reveals God, right? The wealth of the glory of his inheritance, God's inheritance, 
So it's not something that Christians get. It's something that, that God has. It's God's inheritance. And where is it? In His holy ones. In the saints. In the ones who have been set apart. And why have we been set apart? To reveal His glory. To demonstrate His grace. To show His mercy. To, to share the love that God has revealed in Christ. And so the wealth of God's inheritance is found in the Christian community, in the saved community, in those of us who live by grace with one another. But too often, again, I think in our individualistic, Western, American mindset, we're too tempted to, to, to just go it alone. That, that, that I'm just going to focus on my faith and, and my relationship with God, and I'm going to do it my way. I don't really need church, and I don't really need to be a part of a faith community, and I don't really need other people kind of impacting my life and my schedule. And Paul's saying, you're missing the wealth and the riches that God has provided by being a part of this new adoptive family that he's invited us to be in. You know why? Because the spirit that you have is the same spirit that I have. And, and that fullness of God that is in you is the same fullness of God that is in me. And if you want to experience God more and you want to know God more, then why wouldn't we go looking for it among the people where God says his spirit lives? We'll, we'll, we'll kind of go about doing our lives ourselves. Now we'll, we'll spend our time with our non-Christian friends and we'll listen to our, our TV and our news and we'll assume that their wisdom and their knowledge is more important and that, and that somehow this kind of ancient, archaic religiosity that, that of Christianity that was kind of old and passe that doesn't really fit in the modern world and doesn't really make sense to our scientific mindsets, it really doesn't have that much value. So, so I'd rather go hiking or boating or skiing or, or whatever I want to do on Sunday morning or even during the week and spend time with God's people. And we're shortchanging ourselves of the riches of God's presence and power because we're not committing ourselves to be part of a community of God's spirit. When God inherits his people at the end of time, when God ushers in the full resurrection of which Jesus was the first, that he promises there will be many, many more. We will see the company of those who have been called and set apart by Christ as a result of God's glorious grace, as the evidence that God is who he said he is. The riches of his inheritance are the riches of Christian community, men and women, and that is why church is so the last thing he says, and perhaps even the most significant, is if you know God, you will know power. If you know God, you will know power. See, Paul strongly desires, out of a love and a compassion for these Christians who he's never met, that these believers will know and understand that accomplished the resurrection of Jesus and exalted him to the highest place in the known universe and in heaven itself is available for them. While God's life-giving power and his power to, to, to lift up as he did with Jesus is a way of revealing himself in our lives and in the lives of the people that he set apart, so much so that, that, that he wants to demonstrate his power to you when you allow him to work his power in you. See, God wants to demonstrate his power to you and through you to the whole world. That's part of our calling, but, but he needs to allow, want you to allow him to work that power in you. Right? God never forces himself on anybody. And that power doesn't always come as, as checking off our wish list, Right? We, we want power in certain ways, you know. God, fix my wife. God, fix my husband. You know, do a miracle, God. <laughs> we want power to change things that we wish would be better, that we would experience differently. But, but what Paul is saying is that when we put ourselves in line with God's plan and God's purposes, what we come is we humbly submit to the Lordship of Christ and we say, God, work your power in my life transform my life to be what you want it to be. Show me where I need to change. 
And the fear is that if we give God that level of power and control, he's actually going to ask us to change. (laughs) And as much as we say we want change and we want the transformation of God in our lives, we don't like change. And can I be honest, because I have enough gray hair now, the older we get, revealed in Christ the power to bring life out of death. And God's power working in Christ has given Christ a dignity and an honor in the world that is unrivaled by any. In the unseen heavenly realms, Christ is now present with God the Father in His exaltation to the highest place, to the name that is above all names, indicates the incredibly important value that God places on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in God's ultimate plan and purpose. And it signals that a clear shift has taken place in the reality of this world. The center of gravity for life in this world is no longer ourselves. It is no longer the material life in this world. It is now in the unseen heavenly realms where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and is ruling in power. And if that reality has not impacted your daily choices and how you invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, we need to ask ourselves, are we truly following Jesus? Or do we just give lip service to a Christianity that says, yeah, 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 but we still go about living life for ourselves? Because ultimately, Paul will tell us, if that's the kind of Christianity you live, the only one that you're really fooling is yourself. And what a terrible experience to wake up on the other side of life and find out that you are all the while living a lie. And deep down, we know, right, which is why we like to hide, because we don't want to face the truth about ourselves, and we don't want to be exposed to the truth about other people, that, that we have all of this faith in Jesus and all of this belief in Christianity, but it very rarely impacts our choices day in and day out. As the exalted one, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, is Lord. He is now in charge. He's the master of the house. He's the captain of the ship. He's the chief executive officer. He's the lead pastor. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. And if life is worship, then every decision we make should come at the behest and the permission of the lord of the house. And yet, we're conditioned, especially as Americans, that we have to focus on our rights and our wants, and that we are the masters of our own destiny. We are the kings of our own households, and the bigger kingdom that you can build in this world, the more successful you are. The problem is, the Bible says, when the end comes, all of that stuff is just gone. His exaltation to the Lordship of the Lordship of Christ becomes the determining factor for our life purpose in this world. He's the navigating center around which we navigate all of our life decisions and understanding. Because Christ is exalted, the final consummation of all things and the subjection of all things under Him, bringing them together in harmony is assured. Why would we not want to experience that unity and that harmony and that purpose today? same power that accomplished this in Christ is available to bring exaltation, to bring dignity, and to bring honor, and to bring value to our lives today. As we are found within the plans and the purposes of God, we are found in Christ. That same power will exalt and lift up our lives as well. As as we wrap up this morning, where do you need hope in your life today? 
Where in your life have the lights begun to dim? Has darkness begun to creep in? Has your sense of excitement and confidence about the future begun to wane? Where do you need a re-injection and a new infiltration of hope in your life? Men and women, God invites you to come to Him, to know Him better, and to understand what He's already accomplished for you. Because in doing that, as you reflect on that, through the power of the Spirit, He will give you wisdom and revelation to find hope again. Because no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, not even death has the last word. Where in your life today do you need to know the riches of Christian community? In what ways have you become isolated from other believers and, 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 and don't have other people who really know what you're going through, who understand your own besetting sins and your struggles and can walk with you in grace and in mercy, not to judge you, but, but to help encourage you to lean into one another as the body of Christ and to help encourage one another to know the riches of community that God has made available that we miss when we continue to isolate ourselves and not engage with one another in community? Where do you need the riches of community in your life? And are you willing to go to God and say, God, I, I need I need somebody to laugh. I need another brother or sister in the faith who can come alongside and can be an encouragement. God, send me someone. Or turn that prayer around and say, God, make me that kind of person for someone. Who can I be a friend to? Who might be needing a word of encouragement? Somebody that can see the good in them that maybe they can't see anymore. Somebody in the first category who's losing hope and they need that light of, of, of God's Spirit to come through a relationship. God, reveal someone to me and let me be that kind of person to someone else. Where do you need to know the power of God this morning? Where are those places in your life that you know continue to go unhealed? Those places of brokenness in your life that continue to, to, to hold you down. Those places where you've tried over and over again to get victory and to find change and, and it just continues to fall flat and not work. All those New Year's resolutions that you've set that you've never followed through on. Where do you need to be able to stop and go to God and say, God, I need your power to change, change this to me because I can't do it on my own. Because as we've been saying, it's so when we humbly submit to God's power in our life and we allow Him to take the lead, that that power shows up in ways that we never could have imagined and never could have expected. Where do you need God's power to bring life out of death in your life today? And are you willing to take the time to get to know God better so that you can reveal that power to Him? Ephesians reminds us, as the church, how we can begin to recover our identity in Christ. That the church from the beginning has been called to be a corporate representation, a spiritual family being joined together in Christ to, to be the revealers of God's purpose in God's world. See, to be in Christ is to receive a new identity that is formed in community and is empowered to create meaning as it works itself out in truth and love through all of our relationships in this world. I know we're over time, but I, I, I want to close with this word of calling out this idea that in the image of the body of Christ, which we use over and over again, right, as Christians, if you've been in church for very long, you know that we use this language, we are the body of Christ. In this language, where Paul says that Christ is the head of the church and we are his body, there is a deep intimacy that Paul is wanting us to capture in our minds. Deep intimacy. If you think about a head and a body, they're not two separate things. They're one thing in relationship together. When our identity morphs to become Christ in us, our lives take on a whole new direction and meaning for who we are, who God has created us to be, and what it means that we are now part of each other. 
as Christ is the head of the church and we are the body, we are part of one another. And that's why Paul, I believe, in this passage prays so fervently for other believers that he's never met because he knows that in Christ they are part of him. The church is the community of people who have been set apart, who have been called to be God's saints, not perfect people, but people who are called to live out a purpose. And to demonstrate to every ruling power and authority in this world and in the heavenly realms that Jesus has won the victory. And therefore, our hope is assured. We have a community to share life with. And there is power available to bring life out of death. And if that doesn't make you and your spirit say amen, then you need to go get some coffee. Holy God, we do thank you that you are a God who loves us. You are a God who reveals himself to us. That you are a God who continues to work in our lives and in your world to bring to fulfillment the plan and purpose that you've had before the creation of the world. God, we need to ask your forgiveness for the ways in which we have either turned our back or ignored your presence and your power in our lives because of our desire to, to keep control ourselves. Or you need to, to, to help us to understand the ways that, that even though we, we want your power and we want transformation, our, our own besetting sinfulness continually trips us up and we need your mercy and your grace and your forgiveness once again to wash us clean and give us permission to live for you without having to have it perfect all the time. God, help us in Faith Covenant Church to live into the hope and the community power that is available as we share the Spirit of Christ with one another, and as we give ourselves to your plan and your purposes to reveal who you are, your loving, caring, passionate nature for people in this world, so that we can fulfill our purpose and enjoy the benefits for which you have called us and gave us your Son. It's in his name.